Hey, Jolenta. Yes, Kristen. Are you feeling that new year, new you feeling? I'd say I'm actually chuck full of that new year, same old BS feeling. Hells yeah, I (laughs) am too. And turns out so are the listeners. And you know what that means. Well, it means it's time for another How to Be Fine feedback episode. That's right. It's time for another How to Be Fine mini-sode. And today we're hearing from everyone out there about our New Year Same Old BS series, which focused on historically significant and nutty diet trends. Yes. And before we begin, just a heads up, you should listen all the way to the end of this episode because we have a very, very big announcement that we are making and you are going to want to hear it. So listen through to the end of the episode. Yes, do it, do it. But back to dumb diets. Yes, please. (laughs) We got so many listener comments over the past month. And what we're going to do is go through each diet and the comments that came in on each one. I want to start with the cigarette diet, Jolenta. That's our most recent one. I loved this topic so much. You spearheaded the research on this. And we had a lot of people sharing their own stories, which I loved. Yes, Lisa wrote in to say, I quit smoking for five years, then picked it back up again over the last year and a half. I had postponed quitting until I lost a few pounds, but that never happened. Then I simply smoked my last cigarette on New Year's Eve and told myself I was done. Not that simple, really, but that's really it. So far, I haven't had a single one in 2024. I have gained some weight over the last few weeks, but I should be able to manage my stress eating a little better now that the cravings are truly subsiding. I'm overweight and always have been, no matter how much I smoke. However, I am an emotional eater, and having something to hold in my hand and put in my mouth like a cigarette probably did keep me from eating more. Still, it's probably better to deal with addictions and disorders than it is to pick one over the other. Yes, dealing with them, I think, is always the better choice. (laughs) Better to deal with them than to fly head first into the Lisa. And congratulations on quitting smoking. That's a tough yes, thing to do. Yes, congrats. Yes, Jolenta and I, we both know. We we did some quitting We've done and it. restarting and quitting yeah. and restarting. <laughs> I've quit at least three times. <laughs> but that's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations. And I think it's a really valid thing to point out also that sometimes it's not that the cigarettes themselves are necessarily causing people to, quote, slim down. But just having something to do with our hands sometimes just keeps us, if we're fidgety, from doing other things with our hands, like eating, right? Totally. Does for me. Yes. Mary wrote in to say, I never smoked to stay slim, but I knew a guy whose doctor recommended that he start smoking to control his weight. I knew him well, but he passed away recently. He was slightly younger than my parents. Wow. A doctor recommended? Oh, my gosh. I hope your friend didn't die of a smoking-related illness because of this doctor. That's just plain yes, me too. negligence or malpractice. I'm not sure what the word is, but it's not right, and it's not healthy, and it's not smart. No, Oof. no. Bad advice. If a doctor tells you that, like, don't go to them anymore. Yeah, don't do that. Sarah wrote in to say, I did a project on cigarette advertising in college. I was a PR marketing major in the late 90s when there were still plenty of print ads for cigarettes. I remember one of the findings was that most ads don't even show the model smoking. And if the cigarette was even shown in the ad, it was usually held far away from the model. There was a lot of subconscious distancing from the actual product. Very unique in the advertising world to advertise a product without showing the actual product. They're not trying to sell you an 
individual cigarette. They want you to buy into the lifestyle their brand is pushing. The ones that targeted women seem to focus on being thin or sophisticated. Cigarettes that targeted men highlight how manly and rugged their brands were. Ooh, such a good point. Such a good point that it is one of the few products frequently in the billboards that still exist or in other advertising. We frequently don't actually see them smoking the cigarettes. Right, right. They might be there off in the corner with the brand and the box, but we frequently don't see the models themselves smoking the cigarettes. No, we see like a really cool situation that implies a really cool lifestyle that like we want. Yeah, yeah. But Kristen, can we please move on to my personal favorite, the tapeworm diet? Uh, everyone's favorite <laughs> and least favorite yes. subject. <laughs> yes. Stacy wrote in to say, my mom and I used to joke about getting a small tapeworm back in the 80s, just as we joke about getting a mild case of anorexia. I never thought it was something people actually intentionally did. I'm a little confused now, though. Did it turn out to be just a myth in the end, Jolenta? Yes. It's a myth that like sort of turns real once in a while. But like most likely the original stories that we heard about in the Victorian era might have been made up to make women look kind of shallow and like they made bad choices because they also wanted the right to vote. But then this myth sort of takes on a life of its own. And every so often there's someone selling, you know, quote unquote, tapeworm pills on like the dark web and someone buys one and tries it and ends up in the emergency room. So like it's a myth, but it's grown into becoming real every so often. Yeah, but don't do it. Don't do no, it. No, no. And, and don't go to the dark web either. Just don't no, go there. I don't even know how to get there. So don't go. <laughs> <laughs> Heather wrote in to say, OMG, this episode was such a wild ride. I'll never look at fettuccine the same way again. Heather, I'm um, sorry. Jolenta, I agree with Heather here. You ruined it for me. I'm sorry. Even during the episode taping, you remember how I was reacting to you talking about it being you were comfortable to fettuccine? out. Yeah. Yeah. Still am. Still am. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, fettuccine lovers. <laughs> Joanna wrote in to say, this was a fun one to hear. I'm a biologist. So this is the kind of stuff I really enjoy. Oh, my gosh. Scientist in the house, Jolenta. Can I just say I'm glad Joanna didn't write in to be like, you got this all wrong. So, <laughs> thank you, Joanna. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Stacy wrote in to say, I'm just now listening to the tapeworm diet episode. It is super gross and fascinating. Just like Jolenta said, if anyone wants to read a great book which features the tapeworm diet as a sidebar story plot line, check out Grady Hendrix's book, My Best Friend's Exorcism. All right. I have heard of this book. I didn't know there was a tapeworm subplot in it. I didn't know it. either. Now adding to my Libby waiting right, list. Like right, like running now, out right to now. find this book. Yes. Jolenta, shall we move on now to talking about the cabbage soup diet? Oh, yes, please. Let's dive into some cabbage soup. Yes, it's going to be a gas. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bridget says, as someone who dieted with her mom starting at single-digit age and who can still count calories but tries not to, I tried not to cringe listening to your cabbage soup episode. And P.S., I wasn't chunky, like she said. It was the patriarchy through her mother and her mm. all along. Right. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Jolenta, you and I were talking in that episode about that whole era of the cabbage soup diet really was about moms and their daughters dieting together. Women and their lady co-workers dieting together. Yeah. Yeah. The modern woman diets on the go. Like, yes. Diets at work, diets at home with her daughters. Diet with your fam. But not your sons. No, 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 no. Elizabeth wrote in to say, I did the cabbage soup diet back in the day along with everyone else. Honestly, I didn't think the soup was bad, but it was not enough to live on. Each serving probably had 20 calories, which meant that even if you ate an entire cauldron in a day, you were still eating less than it takes to keep a toddler alive. Very good point, Elizabeth. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's like giving flashbacks to the magical leek soup that we had. Oh my gosh, yes. When we were living by French women, don't get fat. Kathy wrote in to say, All my coworkers in the 90s were Xeroxing the cabbage soup diet instructions for each other. Then a few days later, warning everyone else not to. Oh my gosh, I love (laughs) this story. I love it so much. I love that you use the word Xerox machine too. Oh, I love it. Love it. That's like my mother-in-law still uses the word Lux instead of vacuum Oh, because of the brand of vacuum cleaner that she always used growing up as a kid. Xeroxing, though, instead of copy machine. Love it. And I love the warning, like, wait, don't do it. Like, they all started <laughs> farting up a storm or something. Or <laughs> diarrhea. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I also loved this little comment. Cam wrote in to say, I'm on the cabbage soup diet right now. Tastes great. Love my fiber and vitamins. Everybody take a seat. I can't tell if that's a joke or not. I don't know either. A seat on the toilet? I think that's what it means, right? I like it. I like it. (laughs) And Rania says, okay, friends, after all this cabbage soup diet chat, I want to know people's favorite soup recipes, especially cabbage soup. It's soup weather in my area of the world. And Rania... Thanks to you, our Facebook community now has nearly 100 cabbage soup recipes listeners have shared, including cabbage roll soup, caldo verde, and cabbage potato and leek soup. There are so many cabbage soup recipes currently on our Facebook community. If you love soup, I encourage you to go there. And thankfully, all of these soups are not diets. They're just soup. They're just soup. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find all those soup recipes at facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen Angelenta. We're going to take a quick break, but why don't you go? Why don't you go find some recipes? Yeah. And when we're back, we're going to talk about Christian diets. And wow, turns out a lot of you have been on Christian diets. Stay with us. Hey, everyone, we're back. And now let's hear some of the many thoughts and stories that have come in on Christian diets. Shall we, Jolenta? Yes, let's get into it. Sarah says, my mom got in on the ground floor of the Way Down workshops back in the day. I grew up in an environment where being overweight was considered a spiritual failure. My mom still feels this at almost 80. She finally started to lose weight a couple years ago on the keto diet, but I'm concerned that she's lost too much. I can look back and see that she's spent most of her life beating herself up over not being right with God because of her body size. My mom and countless others have been brainwashed into equating body weight and size with spiritual maturity. This angers me and makes me so sad. Ugh, Sarah, it makes us sad, too. It really does. 
But your mom is not alone. It turns out a lot of you have relatives who have struggled with that same spiritual body connection. Right. Misty wrote in to say, my grandmother was the epitome of the church lady and was constantly dieting and calorie counting. I don't know if she read these books, but I wouldn't be surprised. She would even count calories of any snack we would request when we were little and stayed with her. And we came from a food insecure home. We needed every calorie we could get. I always felt bad for her. My grandfather and my father were hugely fat phobic and Mm -hmm. fat shaming. Even on her deathbed, my grandmother bragged about how much weight she had lost being sick like it was a good thing. I'm glad that I was able to avoid embracing that mindset. I love food, and I think growing up with very little food in the home made me appreciate all the calories in a healthy way. Wow. You're a poor grandmother. That mix of like patriarchy and fat phobia plus religious shaming connected to body size, like that's such a mindfuck. Oh, God. And... I just, my heart breaks thinking about her on her deathbed, you know, talking about, well, at least I lost weight being sick. Look at how much weight I lost. Oh, yeah. that's so sad. And I know she's not the only woman on her deathbed that has done that. I, I know women who have done that. It's it's just heartbreaking. It's really, really sad. Right. And it, and it also, like, makes perfect sense when body size is equated with sort of religious purity, too. Like, it's going to be something you're going to end up bragging about, which Ugh. is, it's so sad that those two end up, like, tied together. Yeah. So sad. Olivia wrote, my family was really into first place, which is basically Christian Weight Watchers. It was a series of books and Sunday school classes my parents went to. The whole family went on that diet when I was nine. Both parents lost weight, but gained all of it back, of course. Oh, God. And when the weight comes back, what does that say about your religious virtue? Now you're failing. Like you were in good standing and now you're not because you like gained a few pounds back after a crash diet. Like that's that just messes with your head so much. Yeah. And are you not right with God now? What's going on? Because you gained the weight back. But again, personally, my take, I don't think God cares if you're fat or not. Right. Yeah. God's got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. There's way bigger stuff in the world than that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard about climate change? Yeah, there's bigger things. Aline wrote in to say, I was part of a group doing Lightway, a spiritual growth and weight management program. And while I can see that it is similar in some ways to the Christian diets mentioned on the podcast, it also had at least some differences, one of which was an emphasis on more intuitive eating. That is, a good deal of time and discussion was spent on learning and relearning hunger cues and eating when you're hungry as opposed to eating because you're bored, lonely, etc., That part I found and still find very helpful. And while some of the parts were overtly religious, for example, leave a bite on your plate for your guardian angel, overall, I don't remember hearing or internalizing the negative messages that a woman had to be thin for God, Jesus, or anyone else. That's good. I'm glad you didn't internalize those messages. I really hate the leave a bite on your plate for your guardian angel, though. I hate that. Yeah, that one's rough. Yeah, and that also is something that is common with disordered eating, the I won't clear my plate thing. Right, right. And I have friends who have struggled with disordered eating who, even though it's been years since they have felt like they've really struggled with it, still have to leave at least 20% of their plate full every time they're done eating. And Mm. it's just something they really struggle with because they, from a young age, had to always leave extra food on their plate. And me, I'm like, you're wasting food. Just take less food. Yeah, clear your plate. <laughs> clear your plate. <laughs> Just don't put as much food on your plate and then eat everything on your plate. But yeah. again, Eileen, I, I don't want to beat you up or beat your program up. 
But I would say that's still a problem, the leaving the food on the plate for the guardian angel. I mean, also, I'm just sidebar amazed at just how many different programs there are. You know, I've heard about the way down half a dozen. Right. But it's like there are so so many many more. more. Yeah. Jennifer says, I did the Daniel plan at my church. I did appreciate the approach to eating meat and veggies and getting away from processed food. That was eight years ago, and I still eat that way. No more processed stuff in my house. All that said, I agree religion doesn't belong in your diet plan. And that's coming from someone who had like a generally, it sounds like, positive experience with it and like changed their lifestyle because of it. (laughs) We're glad that you're doing well with that, Jennifer. Yeah. Sarah wrote in to say this, I didn't realize how toxic evangelical Christianity was for me until I left nearly seven years ago, about the time my marriage to my emotionally abusive husband ended. Lisa Turkist, author of Made to Crave, which you mentioned in your episode, was one of my favorite Christian authors back in the day. It's hard to see oppression when you're in it, especially when the oppression comes disguised as a godly woman to emulate. Yeah. Mm. And Cassidy jumped in to say, I find it interesting that Lisa Turker's publishers recently renamed her 2010 book Made to Crave, Satisfying Your Deepest Desire with God, Not Food. The new title is I'll Start Again Monday, Break the Cycle of Unhealthy Eating Habits with Lasting Spiritual Satisfaction. It feels very much to me like a new generation's version of Gwen Shamblin's The Way Down Workshops messages with a modern marketing twist. Yes, I think marketing is a big deal here. And I find that so interesting in the diet industry overall. Like, Jolenta, one example that you and I have talked about off mic is, remember when Weight Watchers decided to change its name to Wellness That Works or WW? WW, yeah. Yes, because they're like, okay, we, we can't mention weight in it anymore even though everything we do is sell weight loss, but we want it to be about Now we're selling health. wellness. We're selling wellness, not weight loss. That starts with a W, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it's like, no, you're selling the same thing, but now you're making it way worse because now you're pretending that in order to be healthy, you have to be skinny, which... Right, mm, not the case necessarily. No. Nope. Krista wrote in to say... One major reason women-led Christian diets became a thing in churches is because women aren't usually allowed in leadership except when it comes to leading other women. And of course, they are only allowed to lead when it comes to, quote, women topics that the men created for them. Beth Moore started her entire ministry as a church fitness instructor. She was able to grow beyond that and see the issues, but many women aren't allowed to grow in a way that encourages them to see why this is so wrong. Yes, that makes sense that, you know, if women want to be in power, they have to sort of slip up the side channels of like weight loss or like relationship help or, you know, stuff like that. Let me perpetuate the ideals of the patriarchy. Here I go. Yay. Lady stuff. Yeah. JD wrote in to say what I find with religious improvement programs is that they perpetuate the whole external loci of control issue. Women can only exist as a foil to a man or their father or the church. They don't work on themselves for their own sakes, but to be better for someone else, like the title Slim for Him indicates. It also infantilizes women and makes them too weak to look at themselves critically and make long-term changes. The devil wants me fat. I didn't want to eat that cake, but the devil made me do it. It frustrates me that we can't say, I want to be healthy for me. I want to be that old lady at the gym lifting weights because I want to enter my later years still able to enjoy life and feel we need to be fit for others' approval instead. Mm. 
such a thoughtful letter, J.D. I think that is so true. The idea that I have no control over this. This is faded. It was written in the stars. Somebody else is controlling me, which, as you point out, isn't just in religious programs. It's in all sorts of control issue situations. Right. Finally, Catherine says, I've never done a Christian diet and wasn't brought up Christian or religious, but as a child of the 90s and young adult in the early 2000s, I was definitely raised with the idea that body size had to do with moral values, like self-control, discipline, taking care of one's health, etc. I now recognize, thanks to podcasts like yours, that so much more than that determines someone's weight and that most diets actually fail no matter how hard people work at them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the sad truth. Yeah. The morality is there even if the religion is not, unfortunately. Right, right, right. We've been able to couple those things as a society in general. In a terrible, terrible way. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's the worst of all possible worlds. Just through pop culture itself. (laughs) We are going to take one more quick break, but stick around because when we're back, we have a big announcement for you. All right, we are back. And now, Kristen, we have a very big announcement about the show. Yes, we do. But first and foremost, nobody panic. We're not going anywhere. However, after several fantastic seasons with Stitcher, Jolenta, you and I are now, to steal a phrase from one Gwyneth Paltrow, Mm -hmm. we are now consciously uncoupling with Stitcher. And we'll be taking a break as we put plans together for the newest iteration of the show. We love everybody at Stitcher who has helped us on our shows up until this point. Again, this is consciously uncoupling. This is not a burn it down situation. Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> and we are not disappearing. We promise. We are taking a quick break. So do not unsubscribe from this feed. Continue to follow us at the Facebook community. We will have updates there. Facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen Angelenta. And we'll put stuff on Instagram as well. We'll probably be changing the handle to Kristen Angelenta to just keep it easy. Yeah. And if you miss the sounds of our voices, we are still on Patreon at patreon.com slash listen to buy the book. Every week we put out a mini-sode about a book there. We also have other content there. And don't forget, I still have my other podcast, The Daily Fail, where my friend Maura and I do comedic close readings of the tabloid news. If you love close readings, if you want to hear us talk about what we're reading, those are two great sources. It's a great show. Definitely listen. But that being said, we are so excited about where we are taking things next. We think you will love it. So just just keep your eyes and ears peeled. Yes. Until then, just a quick thank you once again to everybody at Stitcher for their hard work on this show and our other shows over the years. Thank you to the business team. Thank you to everyone on the production team. Yes. And that includes, of course, Nora Ritchie and Casey Holford, who've been with us since day one. Thank you. We love you guys. Also, Chantel Holder, Brendan Nix, Marcus Hom, Andy Christenstotter, Jared O'Connell, Christy Maribel, and Corinne Wallace. Thank you so much for your great work on the show and for making us sound so good. You guys are awesome. And thank you to all of you listeners, you listeners who, thankfully, we know are not going anywhere, who will follow us to the next iteration of the show. 
We are so excited to continue our relationship with all of you. You make our lives better. We love all of you, our dear listeners. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalenta Greenberg. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. And until next time, stay fine. Stitcher.